Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that when he is stuck with a pair of scissors, he keeps them in, son. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. You need to pay me back for your rent. The Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 306, The Devil You Know, is brought to you by the New York Bulletin. Lots of exciting vacancies all over the newsroom, but don't expect decent health benefits. Wow, that is the most surprising sponsor that we've had, but I guess that is the way it is, Pete, in the world of the MCU. One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. The episode opens with Karen sleeping, waking, aching. We flash back to her confessing to Foggy, sharing that she didn't touch Wesley's body, she thinks. She wants to be called a bad person, but he says she's not, even though she shot Wesley seven times, wanting him dead. Back in the present day, she hears someone lurking in her apartment, and it's the black-clad daredevil. She grunts, you need to pay me back for your rent, and walks off. The credits show this episode is written by Dylan Gallagher. This, his first writing credit. He has been a writer's assistant on Cloak and Dagger, as well as a production assistant on an episode of uh, Daredevil last season. But uh, welcome to the writing game, Dylan Gallagher. This episode directed by Marvel TV veteran Stephen Surchek, uh, who has directed episodes of Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Punisher, uh, Jessica Jones, Arrow, Burn Notice, Warehouse 13. The list literally goes on and on. Monk, Bull, X-Files even. But back to the episode, we are still in Karen's apartment. Matt notes that he can no longer protect himself. She tells the tale of Mr. Larson from her childhood, who didn't talk about his wife's death. What for, he said. She bluntly asks Matt what he needs from her. Why is he here? He info shares, then says he needs something indeed, her help. But she won't help and was serious about the rent. Later, she's at a bulletin meeting, glossing over the details of that staff meeting while looking up Jasper Evans, the shanker. Later still, she meets with Foggy, who suggests she trades investigating Jasper in exchange for Matt turning himself in. Karen has no sympathy for Matt. For Foggy, sympathy overfloweth. She goes to church, to Matt's church, to Sister Maggie. The good sister says Matt isn't here, but can quote Karen Page's work on Daredevil. Sister Maggie talks about Matt's private world of darkness, seemingly all right during the day, but screaming awake at night. One night, Sister Maggie didn't respond to his cries, and he shut her out. The lesson, when someone in need tries to push you away, you need to find the strength to hold on tighter. At night, Karen is on the lookout for Jasper Evans, her gun in tow. She's in the kind of neighborhood that has an oil drum fire and is bathed in red lights. So you know it's bad. She wanders into a heroin den, a sad and lonely place where she finds an angry Jasper Evans and Daredevil. A quick fight later, Jasper is down. She gives Matt her offer. She'll help him if he turns himself in. He okays it. He wakes Jasper and gives the ex-con an option to talk to the FBI or the bulletin. Karen counteroffers, ready to lie in the paper and say Jasper squawked anyway. Elsewhere, Dex awakens from the nightmare that is being rejected by a woman. He takes out his therapist tapes and uses them as his North Star to get settled. At Fisk's penthouse, it's furniture day with fancy chairs and well-appointed artwork now sprucing up the joint, along with Fisk's access to proper clothing and expensive cufflinks. White suit, black shirt, the kingpin has arrived. Seeing the stately apartment, Vincent D'Onofrio's Fisk's mouth turns down, but he smiles anyway. Dex arrives at work decidedly unsettled, and two hours early. He sends his co-worker downstairs for coffee as he heads to feed Fisk, therapist Mercer's voice buzzing in his head, reminding him that all he needs is a good North Star. Camera's off, Dex accuses Fisk of bringing Julie into the hotel to be a Bush League honey trap, all from a man who doesn't know Dex at all. Oh, irony. Fisk 
talks about killing his father as a boy, that feeling, that moment, does Dex recognize it? The Kingpin knows that Dex is extraordinary and that society pushes people like him, like us. Back in the FBI office room, his worker is back with coffee and news that the FBI is investigating Dex. His immediate bosses say how unfair it is. Hey, take a minute, maybe two. Pack your stuff up, buddy. On his way out, he runs into Nadim. Ray says it'll be okay, but Dex doesn't think so. Ray offers platitudes while Dex hears Mercer's voice. It's not his fault, since he's so alone. Later, Dex is still so alone in his apartment, tears in his eyes, gun in his hand, his thoughts swirling, gun to his head, until his phone rings. It's Fisk talking dead parents. Fisk's mother accepted him without shame, and Fisk, nay, Papa Fisk, can be the same for Dex. There's a package on the way. The package arrives, or rather, a courier, ready to take Dex somewhere. Elsewhere, Foggy goes to FBI NYC HQ, delivering Nadim the sandwiches and some news on Matt Murdock and Jasper Evans. The very same Matt Murdock is back at the church, dressing in a suit. Sister Maggie is there, too, teasing him about his stylish demeanor. He admits being just friends with Karen and is on the way to clear his name with the FBI. At the very same FBI, Nadim's promotion has come in, but Ray is more concerned about Jasper Evans and the proof that Fisk is playing the FBI. It's a bluff, they conclude. Prepping for the FBI meet, Matt and Foggy arrive somewhere. Matt gives Foggy a new wallet and they share a laugh. At the bulletin, Karen and Jasper arrive, prepping for him to talk. Intercut is Nadim and the other agents on the way. Editor Ellison is grateful that Karen has pushed him to shine a light. Meanwhile, the lights go out at the bulletin, and for Matt and Foggy, too, in the same building. There's screaming, and on the newsroom floor, a Daredevil is killing people. Foggy arrives, and Daredevil Dex throws a club, caught by Matt Murdock, clad in black. Showdown time. Matt seems to take the lead, but quickly the bullseye powers of Dex show a steady increase of success. Every tool of the office is Dex's tool. Scissors, monitors, paper clips. Matt rallies, but Dex overtakes him, kicking him in the head. Dex as Daredevil, camera running, knocks out Foggy, stabs Allison, and blows away the brains of Jasper Evans. Dex leaves. The FBI arrives in the lobby just around the time Karen finds the bloodied Matt, scissors still sticking in him. In the stairwell, Daredevil Dex takes out six agents headed down. Headed up is Nadim, who finds the bloody remains of the bulletin staff. In the basement, as the presses run, Matt lurks while the FBI searches. Upstairs, Nadim finds a crying Karen and the body of Jasper Evans. What happened here? Who did this? It was the daredevil. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, let's start by talking about not Daredevil, or as uh, as we might call him, Daredevil Dex, taking the mantle making public institutions feel even less good about these masked heroes in New York. Oh, Daredevil Dex, Pete, where do you want to begin? It's hard to think, Matt, that there could be a sequence two episodes after the the prison riot that could even come close in terms of intensity. Different, the the showdown, the, the, the whole nine yards between um, – decks here soon to be if not already bullseye uh ricocheting things off of cubicles and poles and people um full-on murder mode yeah just captivating tv as i was watching it and of course this is the second time i've seen the fight the first was at new york comic-con with with certainly less context uh, as I was watching it, I was saying to myself, do I like this better than the uh, than the prison riot? Now, I can recognize the artistry and the precision and the planning for the uh, for the prison riot, prison fight scene. Uh, I think just as fights go, 
punch for punch, I might have liked this better, in part because we were seeing that kind of bleeding edge of his his powers and all that ricocheting and all that bullseye stuff. To me, that almost made it more entertaining, even though the outcome was a uh, you know was was one that was not in favor of our hero. Um, I I really dug this as a fight scene. Well, Dex in this episode suffering the disgrace at the hands of the leak in the FBI uh, smeared across the New York Bulletin. It's no wonder that that becomes a site for the slaughter here. And um, with the recruitment by Fisk, it's funny, you know, we worried uh, we finally gave um, a promotion to agent. Nadim, but it was Dex that wound up being recruited by a criminal element here, given a daredevil suit. Talk about that in our sidebar segment. Okay. And throwing that baton or just a a straight up sharpened pipe, whatever at uh, foggy that Matt just grabs midair. And to me, that's a moment like, you know, Darth Maul opening the door in uh, the Phantom Menace and we know the duel is on. There's that build up to it and it does not disappoint. I will never watch that catch of the pipe. I will never be able to watch it without hearing the the cheering of the 5,000 mm-hmm. there assembled New York Comic Con. I felt let down to not be watching it with that audience reaction and that was having already seen it in a screener for for this episode to end the batch that was screened for the media to see it taken out of context and shown to us at New York Comic Con uh particularly the reaction that Foggy got when he ran away into the the editorial office with Karen and uh Jasper and Ellison um and then to have this fight that just continues at each turn to wow the viewer yeah it's it's a letdown i maybe i was slow in the uptake here pete or maybe it's just that unfortunately this season of daredevil uh and the 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 pace that we are podcasting at uh happens to unfortunately mirror the real world but it's only in reflecting on this episode now that I, I realize, oh, Dex is somebody whose uh, un, unclarified general anger at the world as an angry white guy who got told no by a woman, among other things going on. Um, he's, had, he's had this leader uh, weaponize him as a tool against the press. Uh, yeah. that, that's not a fun thing to realize. And I doubt that the show was exactly planning on being so unfortunately timely, but yeah. that's what we have here in Dex in this episode. It is. And, and for the ultimate twist to come by Fisk in this episode, I, I think of the scene where Dex goes in and confronts him after he's turned off the cameras. He's had that rough night he's tried listening to his tapes he he can't quite get right and he's he's gonna let his anger out on fisk and fisk doesn't say anything at first absorbs it all and and then you know recruits him deceives him brings him down that dark path um you know it's like what dr mercer said about dex that he could go either way he just needs a, a true north to be on the straight and narrow and he's gone just about as far south as he can possibly go meanwhile as we turn our discussion to fisk as a villain aside from the little view of fisk that we have you know courtesy of the the kind of omniscient presentation of the the various plot points here fisk is not a villain on the fbi's list at least for the bad done in this episode fisk is not necessarily convincingly the villain the cause of this double daredevil um uh, you know from the perspective of our heroes fisk is very very removed from it only we the audience can see that 
Um, and, and that of course is part of Fisk's plan and part of the, part of the, the, the sad, wonderful construction of it. Uh, his construction, I'm not talking about story construction here, just the fact that he's, he still is in prison, Pete, even though it was furniture day and fancy chairs and artwork was sent his way, he still is in prison. So, you know, what? Not me. I'm in prison. And the particulars of that, again, something we'll discuss in the next segment. But for him to be able to set up this slaughter, uh, enable it, really fashion and form it, um, that and springing Jasper Evans and the way that was done, just the sheer audacity of this plan and that's with something he didn't think he could necessarily count on. He didn't know he was going to have access to some, somebody like Special Agent Poindexter and then seized upon it. So it's calculating, but at the same time, it's opportunistic. And this really fell into his lap and he played it in a way that obviously he probably could have never planned. I credit showrunner Eric Olson and the writing staff for, uh, again, giving us a story slice that is is too big for one sitting, by which I specifically mean here. We heard a couple episodes ago, oh, Jasper Evans, he did the shanking, and then, you know, Fisk used his connections to get him, to get this lifer set free, you know, because lawyers, as though there's some sort of uh subjective amount of lawyering that can get a somebody with a life sentence out now of course we we all know about you know twists and turns with lawyers but the way it was presented then was like yeah if you just lawyer enough then you make it happen you know it's like if you want to lose weight if you just burn enough calories if you exercise enough the weight will come off here we see the other side of that story which is not that lawyer made it go away it's he's been as near as we can tell, he's been spirited away from the prison, or at least that's the story of prison officials. But he officially is not off the books in terms of, you know, like he's sprung free and shouldn't be in this prison. He's scheduled to be in prison and has just bounced. I like that, A, that feeds into Fisk's villainy, and B, that also hammers home with the writing something that didn't quite make sense two episodes ago, but it was like, eh, it's the, it's the comic book TV show, not a big deal. No, it's a big deal to Eric Olsen and company. Yeah, it would have been easy to just, oh, well, it, yeah, it is a comic book show. It's, it's a loose end. It, it doesn't matter. And my mind even questioned for a moment when uh, Nadim is reporting to his boss there, to, uh, to Watley, well, the prison has checked and he's not there. He is gone. Um, and then I'm like, well, they had a riot, but what would reasonably happen after a riot? You, you'd get your most clamped down conditions. They would go. They would uh, account for every prisoner they could. He was in solitary I thought there was going to be some kind of reveal too, like they stuck somebody else in the hole for him. Uh, oh yeah, just keep feeding that guy. We won't see him for a month, but they go and they check on him and obviously it's empty or it was somebody else. But yeah, Olsen has sweated the smaller details in this season and through six episodes, Matt, it's completely apparent. And I think it's worth repeating what you just said, sweating those small details. I think some of the concerns that we've had for prior seasons of MCU stuff, I will say most immediately, uh, certainly our favorite, I don't mean to make it a whipping post, but our favorite whipping post, you know, Iron Fist. Also, season two of Luke Cage, quite good, but not, you know, not kind of wholly perfect. Even the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., lots, all three storylines have lots of arcs and characters in play and this and that, the other, but it's a more satisfying journey through these first six episodes of Daredevil due to a variety of reasons, some of which are the characters and, and all that, that just, you know, that's not Luke Cage or Iron Fist or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but when you do have those little details and you, in, you know, two episodes later you go, huh, it works, or even some of the stuff that initially we were complaining about a little bit, and I think it still might be a complaint, but 
you know, the guy who Matt Murdock saved in the first episode or so, and then Karen was going to visit the daughter in the hospital, and then there, there ended up being a hotel connection. You know, they backed into that slowly as opposed to this guy who had hotel deed and sold to W. Fisk. You know, like they, they're not telegraphic, telegraphing right. things to the audience that don't need to be. They're kind of doing that slow burn. It's been subtle at the same time. It hasn't been wasteful. Um, and I think we can appreciate both, given that we're a little bit less than halfway through. Um, next one, Matt, for me, as far as a defendant, I, I think we really need to talk about the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Um, well, Pete, first of all, I'd like to take a little victory lap. I'm the one that proposed, uh, I think with the last podcast, you know, oh no, has Nadim become maybe not a villain with a capital V, but, you know, he's become a protagonist, pardon me, an antagonist to our protagonists. We see more of that in this episode. And I think, you know, there's just that moment where it's like, uh, hey, do you think that we might have this uh, wrong? No, we don't have this wrong. They're just bluffing. Here, here's, here's the group think. And, you know, I mean, whether it's, Pete, I most immediately thought of, you know, kind of pre-9-11 and some of the warning signs that the government ignored. But choose your time that the government has messed up and not read the situation clearly, whether it's in this country or anywhere else, big or small, you know, from from 9-11 all the way down to the dog catcher's office, whatever it might be. It's like they're not considering the alternative. Um, And you should always consider the alternative, especially, I don't know, uh, when you have a big bad guy like kingpin in custody and you're making deals and sharing information and all this you should consider what's the alternate perspective to what's going on and they're just not there in groupthink yeah and you consider what happened to special agent poindexter whomever leaked that information um and to what extent excessive force played a role in that. Um, and even the sympathetic members, if not just the female agent that uh, goes and gets him a cup of coffee and then says that it's not right what's happening to him when he sees the headline on the front page of the bulletin, then Nadim as well. And we know because of who he is and what he's gone through when he says, I need this job. It's not a monetary situation like it is for Nadim. It is, I need this to live, to be able to make good decisions, to be able to be a good person, how important that structure is. And is this a warranted thing? Was, was gunning down, um, you know, Albanians that attacked this convoy, uh, excessive or does he deserve to be disgraced this way? And is he a murderer? And, and now, um, you know, does the FBI have blood on his hands for leaking that information for investigating him and precipitating this carnage? I think it's, it's not murder. If you have his, his, extraordinary abilities which i think i think in the world of the show we can say is superpowers as opposed to best marksman ever um what about luck um well i mean there's luck and there's luck do you do you mean outright luck or domino messing with the odds (laughs) kind of luck i i mean listen i'll i'll reveal one of the things in uh my sidebar here his safe has on the inside door of it, there are throwing stars. Um, you know, you, you say abilities, I say finely honed reflexes, um, without taking acid to the eyes and overcompensating. And even then, you know, we know of no special power that Matt has other than, training and was hit by magic chemical 
Well, I think with Matt, it's implied. I know we've ever only seen his, uh, you know, the show does not use this term, nor would I apply it to this term, but kind of the daredevil radar vision. Uh, we only saw that once, and it was certainly, thank goodness, Pete, it was the opposite of the Ben Affleck daredevil movie um, radar vision. But I kind of take Matt's heightened senses, ha- all of those senses have been heightened by the accident. Um, I would argue too for Dex. I mean, I don't care how skilled you are. No amount of throwing, throwing stars. Is that a proper, I guess throwing stars. That's the, that's the descriptor, right? So throwing, throwing stars. Um, no amount of practice with those stars is going to prepare you for taking a snow globe and throwing it at the right angle to hit somebody around the corner who you believe is there so i i mean to me it's let me put it this way pete uh, certainly future episodes may take this um definitively in, in one direction or another if i am the government in charge of enforcing the sokovia accords and i find out about decks in, in in this context uh we need to sit down and have a conversation uh without him and then with him to determine whether which of these two it is because it certainly seems very very extraordinary your honor may i approach the bench may i approach the bench it's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off the record theories you be the judge Pete, we had mentioned earlier this notion for this season, uh, which again, I think we're both attributing to the the showrunner change and Eric Olson and all of that, this idea of story bites that are too big for one sitting. Uh, we had wondered last episode, I believe it was last episode, they do start to blur together at a certain point, but when Fisk was on the phone with, uh, I think, Matt, um how it was this tight close up and he was that was two episodes ago two episodes, that was 304 okay. he was at his desk black background tight shot not a sense of where he was and it was like huh where is that in the penthouse with nothing in it uh this episode we get a little bit more decoration in there but there's there's that moment where the fbi agents are like could fisk be somehow be no 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 um but we see him call again, and there's obviously he's he's you know now had not just a little contact, but a lot of contact with Dex. So my question is this, Pete: Is there something in that penthouse? Is there the secret room that nobody knows about, where except we prognosticate about it and Fisk knows about it? Well, I'm going to deflect and just talk about that scene where he's on the phone with Dex who has a gun in his hands, um, presumably contemplating suicide, um, and calls him, talks about the hammer. There is a, a man, not Donovan visible at a table behind Fisk. I believe it's number two, the other lawyer. Yeah. Um, so, all right, lawyer time. Now I get to make a phone call to, you know, tip somebody over the edge. I mean, it's it's obviously clear to the viewer the FBI has completely failed in adequately caging um, Wilson Fisk. How he's able to watch Matt, we still haven't seen. Um, but... It's yeah. How how's he able to be making phone calls now during lawyer time? Would not I don't know a, a cell scrambler would would they not anticipate he'd try to call somebody to to spring him out of the penthouse through violent means um, and and to in in some way defend against that? Well, I think not only is it kind of quote-unquote convenient storytelling but no they haven't thought of it i just feel like it's kind of par for the course in terms of i don't know kind of in terms of institutional screw-ups i don't want to be i don't want to specifically say pete it's that darn government again what with their mistakes i'm not trying to take that strong a a a course but i mean 
they're so blinded that of course they didn't think that they were being outfought. They're not anticipating that. As I said before, I find it's completely in line kind of with my, my expectations of how they have operated so far. How about Matt, uh, Karen talking to foggy at the beginning of this episode. And he specifically asks her, where is the gun? Uh, did you touch the body? Is there evidence out there of her now admitted murder to her attorney, um, uh, Foggy, of James Wesley? Well, I mean, we're back to Chekhov's gun here. No gun pun intended. Why bring this up at the top of the episode uh, if it's not going to get used? It would have been one thing if it was part of the organic conversation last episode but you know this is a new episode fresh whatever and if it's just like quick recap oh man i can't believe you did this okay you know continue with the story um they could have but to bring it up to me it says you know we potentially have a ticking time bomb of of her needing to address that pay for her crime whatever it might be to me that definitely puts it in play for for the second half of this season Dex has throwing stars in his safe. He also has at least one machine gun. Matt, anything else in there we might want to think about? Uh, throwing stars, maybe nunchakus, maybe a bottle of ooze. Next thing you know, you're in the sewer. <laughs> Pete, uh, Disney may be proud to announce they've bought Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Eastern Well, Lair. a Daredevil connection. They they are in the same yeah. universe. That they are the the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete. The uh, the original comic, the ooze that Dunn hit Matt Murdock, then also went down the sewer. It was meant to be going down the sewer, and that's what uh, that's what had them uh, change. Yeah. So if we get an elaborate dance sequence here with Foggy and Daredevil and Dex and Karen, and maybe we bring Claire Temple back in here, um, go Ninja, go Ninja, go. Would have yes. probably been better with the hand around, you know, the hand, the foot, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk about Fisk's pimped out pad, Matt. I, I get deals with the government, but holy smokes, man. I mean, we're going to let this guy dress like he's showing us up? Um, yeah, they are because they, again, it, they have the blinders on and they feel that the information that they're getting is so darned good that it what what's a little piece of art that already was in storage just sitting there? You know, what is some cufflinks that we've gone over, uh, you know, a million times to make sure it's not secretly a cufflink bomb or some kind of James Bond thing? Guy wants some sterling silver cufflinks and a couple of suits, you know, well, he's given us this corrupt lawyer and he's given us the Albanians and he needs to keep talking. So at the end of the day, what's a little this, what's a little that. And it's Pete, it's the slippery slope. It's the frog in the, in the pot of water, whatever metaphor you want to use. They don't realize that they're being stooges in this thing. Even when, even when the Dean walks in and says, Hey boss, are we being stooges? Nah, we're actually the (laughs) smartest people in the room. So this leak that got Dex suspended, um, and, and who might have done it? I mean, feel free, certainly, Matt, to speculate on that. But um, I think there is a real-world parallel, and it's not where you think I'm going. Um, I actually – I had not stopped to consider that the leaker might become a story uh, – a story point. I feel like with a story this big and with, within a certain degree, me kind of agreeing with Fisk that this extraordinary ability or kind of extraordinariness is going to be uh, tugged at and pulled down by people who, who simply are jealous of it. To me, that's all kind of in line. I just figured it was it was just anonymous. I'm upset that this guy does his job. This Dex does his job so well. Uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, it just might have been simply um, an in-house thing. Like, hey, we need to we need to get the pressure off us for Lock Fisk up. 
Uh, so we're going to, you know, the FBI is going to create its own new story, which is a uh, bad FBI guy. Uh, but we're, uh, Fisk is still bad, but we're also investigating bad FBI guy. Well, then Watley and another agent in charge there uh, apologize to him that they didn't mean for it to slip out. Um the, the case that parallels this, Matt, is actually very close to our homes here on the Jersey Shore. Shall we inform the rest of the world who hasn't already heard about this or remind them about the pooper intendant? <laughs> um, sure, Pete. There was a school's superintendent who was caught going to the rival school's football field and uh, eliminating waste from his bowels every morning on the field. So uh, he has pled guilty within the last little bit. Um, and uh, he resigned his job, although he got $100,000 in severance, Matt. Okay. And um, article today in our daily newspaper talking about, you know, what this case has done to his his children and his his children have no guilt in this and kids are cruel. And of course, you know, knowing they share a, a rather unique last name, um, his his kids have have been bullied, have been given a hard time over this. OK, but there's pun intended. <laughs> uh, where is their uh, personal responsibility in terms of doing that that that's another thing altogether but here's the deal so when he was arrested this superintendent of schools who was pooping uh all over repeatedly day to day to day this um this high school uh sports complex the the track the football field okay he was, as the article states, he was caught by police. He was brought in. He was uh, arrested and booked. The mugshot, he alleges uh, the police told him again and again, it, it's just official. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not a big deal. He is now suing the police department for $1 million for publicizing his mugshot because that story went viral it was all over our country um and it was right in our um you know backyard but our uh, metaphorical backyard <laughs> not our metaphorical backyard either although there was to my knowledge there has been no leavings in either of our backyards uh i can i can check in a moment <laughs> but um I think there's a parallel because here uh, Watley and the other agent are saying, hey, this shouldn't have leaked. Um, this superintendent, ex-superintendent, alleges he was told there, there's no uh, consequences with this. Uh, he's since, of course, gotten a, a diagnosis that he has uh, exertion diarrhea, which begs the question, if you knew you had such a thing, wouldn't you get a treadmill so that if you were running, you know, you can run to the bathroom in the privacy of your home instead of, you know, eliminating on the 40 yard line? I mean, in both cases, it appears we have the same mindset, which is I need to blame somebody else for my own bad decisions. And for the pooper intendant, it's all well and good to say, oh, it was a, an emergency medical condition or whatever. But really, you're choosing the track of your rival high school. That's awfully that's where you go run and then have to go do this at specific spots, not, you know, in the bushes or whatever, whatever. Um, and with Dex, similar thing. It's not his fault, Pete, that he had to kill the coach. The coach was a jerk for not giving him what he wanted. It's not his fault that julie ran away she was a jerk for it not giving him something else that he wanted uh, it's not his fault it's not his fault it's not his fault and you know he pete he's blaming fake fbi or fake media fake news fake now he's the fake daredevil you know like it's to me it's the same unacceptable behavior and 
as challenging as it is or as challenging as these times are that makes this a slightly less amusing story i'm glad that they're bringing some reality into daredevil what do you make of sister maggie you you remember sister maggie right what do you make of her uh story to karen about matt's nightmares consoling him and then the one time she didn't that was it i mean that is the nature of characterization that is the nature of long form storytelling that is the nature of kind of this you know premiere level netflix hbo fx you know amazon prime whatever it is that kind of level there that 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 cadillac platinum level um a broadcast show probably would not have taken the time to just have a story where these two ladies talk and this and that the other but it was it first of all showed sister maggie's affection towards matt and uh, affection towards all of her charges it reminded us of the breadth of her uh, her calling, in this case, helping children, but the calling, you know, the religious calling and the the awesome responsibility that that is, a responsibility that I'm sure at times feels overwhelming because there's no end to to the needy. Um, but also it paints Matt in a poor light. It's him saying, you didn't help me this one, so I'm going to shut you out forever. No sympathy there, Pete. Pete, Matt is blaming the... The, the female who didn't give him what he wanted, which was, you know, uh, you know, the not unreasonable, hey, I'm a kid, I had a bad dream. Hey, mother right. figure, help me. Um, but but he's kind of in the same boat here as Dex. Well, I think you just brought out the gigantic difference. He is a young man, a, a child, uh, whereas Dex is a full-fledged adult. Um, and again, that personal responsibility, that is not to say that children are, are not responsible for their actions. They are, but to a far lesser degree than developed adults. Nadim gets that promotion, Matt. So credit ain't a problem now. How, how'd this get fast tracked? Uh, I mean, it got fast tracked because they... The FBI, I think, rightfully was concerned about his uh, long-term fidelity to the agency relative to his money troubles. Guess what? His long-term fidelity was borne out with this big haul that he's brought in with the kingpin and all the, you know, the the news that Fisk is bringing. Um, here's how you can take the true measure of Nadim's soul that he could care less that his financial problems are now on the wane and that he has another, you know, uh, star next to his name or, or however, you know, he's another level FBI agent or however it is that they measure, um, measure uh, advancement in the FBI. He's focused about the rightness of his case. Um, and A, it's a really nice character moment. And B, uh, let's officially have a red alert here, Pete, because he has more to lose than a lot of these other characters. Um, is he going to end up paying the price for all of this Fisk stuff? We know the, the other shoe is going to drop. Will he end up paying the price for it? And now it's, well, you just got busted back to, you know, FBI private uh, rank. And you just, you know, we took your promotion away. And, oh, the, the bills are coming in. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe go get a job over at the, over at the, you know, Stark Tech or this, that, the other running security, I don't know, but bye-bye. And that just breaks our heart, but that could just be the end of his story, which is, sorry, you bet on the wrong horse. Where did Fisk get Dex a Daredevil suit? Is this the work of Melvin Potter? And that is, why didn't we see Melvin? Uh, it is 100% my expectation, knowing nothing about what episodes are to come, is 100% my expectation that Fisk has gotten it from Melvin Potter. Um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, in prior season, in that first season, Melvin Potter does have a tangential relationship with Fisk underlings, maybe whether he knows no, it or not. To, is that correct? To Fisk himself, he so, makes yes. he makes body armor for Fisk. Of course, of course. So I think that, I think that is my assumption. If they don't touch it again and it's a neat little story conceit, then that still will be my my assumption. However, Pete, 
I've had to make assumptions about the guy that Matt Murdock saved, and that ended up being a slow reveal of a much larger story bite. I made assumptions uh, about uh, Fisk and his ability to communicate and things like that, and that was a larger story bite as well. So I'll throw out the theory in my spoiler-free view. Maybe we see Melvin Potter in the second half of this season. Pete, maybe we find out more about his... Is it, is, is it a lady? Is it a dog? Is it a plant? Is it an imaginary friend? Whatever it is. Um, but maybe that loops around too because this season increasingly is about, hey, could that have been the case? Uh, maybe it is the case. Oh, look, it's for three episodes now. We've been building a larger case. Yeah. Um, is Ellison alive, especially after the kind of emotional scene in which he thanked Karen for, you know, going against his wishes and and shining a light on it. Is that not, we talk about TV code all the time, Mm -hmm. Matt, two shots to the head means you're done. What was that the equivalent of two shots to the head? Uh, As it was unfolding and he was like, Hey, Karen, I just want you to know, um, I've now completed a story arc and I'm a, a more fully realized person and where once I was wrong about this topic, you know what? You've helped me write not only my point of view on this story, but my, my moral compass. Thank you. Thank you, Karen Page. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy is toast. I mean, if this was lost, it would be like, hey, uh, now I've finally gotten over that one thing that held me back in life. Awesome. Thanks so much. Oh no, the, snow, the smoke monster, I'm dead. Um, the only hope I have, Pete, is that he got he got the wound to the middle of his left chest, which is to say, it could be right. a lung and he he's it, dead. He took it high up, yeah. But it also could be, you know, could be John Wayne and like, you know what, Paige, I'm gonna be okay. Thumbs <laughs> up on the stretcher as they take me out to the thing. You know, I would assume it's more the latter. I feel like at this point. He's too big a supporting character to be offed as casually as news reporter number two in striped shirt, or even, you know, Jasper Evans focused heavily on in five scenes in this episode, brains on the back. Like, he needs to either go out in the flame of glory or just be, you know, be like some of the Mission Impossible characters that you know are not going to get killed off. You could fear for them temporarily, but they're not going to get killed off. Um, so I hope he's not dead. We'll find out next episode. A compliment and a complaint. This was a very faithful tabloid style print newsroom. Um, I've been in a number of them. I've been to the Boston Herald. I've been to the New York Post. I've been to the New York Daily News. They all look like this as opposed to the the more corporate and slightly cushy New York Times and the Washington Post, which look completely different inside. Uh, so points there. Points off, Matt, however, for the printing press because <laughs> – in, in the same building? In the same building. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. So Matt has taken the, the skizzers to the, to the chest. Okay. He is – Attempting to move quickly, not running, but not walking through an industrial printing press. That would never happen. Do you know why? Well, I know that the New York Times printing presses, I mean, obviously there was a time farther back that they were like in the same building or in New York. I think in more recent history, they were in New Jersey. And then I think we pass when you and i've been to mets games i think we pass them in the outer boroughs i'm they assuming have they might... several they, they 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 web it out okay. now uh i have worked in newspapers that had printing presses on premises um the last newspaper i worked for they sent it out to uh a press they did not own but um industrial printing presses use silica-based ink which gets into the air and onto the ground and makes those places extraordinarily slick. The workers who work in there wear little booties over their shoes so they don't slip. The Washington Post, when we went to visit, had its printing presses in the building. 
and we had to uh, walk very carefully. We were not given the booties, and some of the girls, some of the um, uh, female students with us uh, in their high heels, a couple of them fell, and it was not a good situation. Well, I, I, I'm not surprised, particularly, you know, a paper of the size of the bulletin. I know, of course, they always get the big headlines because they're the biggest MCU TV newspaper with no Daily Bugle. And they're not going to, you know, there's the in-story connection and whatnot. But, you know, we've kind of speculated, oh, are they the sixth place newspaper behind the Times and the Post and the this and the that all the way down to, to smaller papers. But yeah, something just didn't ring true. The notion that deep in the basement of what otherwise is a fairly small office building, there are these massive presses, you know, I would be interested to know where they filmed that because it was a great location. It was just not a location in the basement of where the bulletin offices are located. And then Dex makes this comment to Karen is he taking the the daredevil Matt Murdock persona all the way has has Fisk told him that Murdock is daredevil um hey Karen does he know Karen Page because it's Karen Page star columnist of the New York Bulletin or uh is there something else we're not considering uh i read it as he is playing the Daredevil role, and Daredevil has crossed paths with ace reporter Karen Page. Um, that's how I read it. And and that piggybacks for a question I have for you, Pete. And I, I'm going to word this in a way, so regardless of your knowledge of the future, you can still answer this in the here and now. Doesn't it do a poor job of revealing Matt Murdock as the Daredevil to have Matt Murdock beat up so badly but to, to have Matt, Mer- Matt Murdock beat up so badly. Now, granted, he gets up and he leaves and this and that the other, but I was initially considering, you know, if he just stays there and the FBI gets him and he says, oh, man, daredevil bad. I just wanted to come here and turn myself in. You know, how much of, I guess, so here's the question, Pete. How much of that fight was Fisk ordered and how much of it was Dex improvising? Uh you're proposing something I hadn't really considered. What if they find Murdoch and he has to confess to kicking his own ass? Well, that's just it. It's like he didn't. I mean, I guess it's it's less evidentiary now. You know, it could be like, oh, you stuck the scissors in yourself. The scissors that aren't in there anymore. Who's, who's even to say that that was a scissor wound? Um, but it's like for, I'm, I'm attacking this from the deck's end. Did Dex do a good job? Did Dex do the job that was ordered of him? I guess that ultimately is the case. And if Fisk wants Matt Murdock beat up by Daredevil, what does that get anybody? I guess we have to wonder what was ordered of him as opposed to, hey, here is a, a suit that um, the the fixer problem guy uh is is bringing to you those bad people at the new york bulletin you should pay them a visit we've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies here's what you had to say pete take us to the facebook for some feedback Robert T. Frost writes in, Matt and Pete, I can't believe how good this season is turning out to be with each episode topping the last. What spoke to me in episode 304 was the conversation between Special Agent Nadim and his wife. That's a conversation that my wife and I have had several times over the 23 years we have been married. It's an issue that I'm glad that the show touched upon. Most people these days are aware of the many stresses that first responders deal with, but most don't know or recognize the stress that the families endure. Will daddy get hurt? Is this my last goodbye? I say to my husband, will I never get to hug them again? I truly believe that there are times when it's worse for my wife 
having to sit and wait for news or for a phone call or a text than it is for me because I get to actually do something. I thank God every day for my lovely bride, my blue rose who supports the badge, who stands behind the thin blue line. Because without her, I couldn't do the job that I do every day when I leave to go save the great American public from itself. Your friend, Bob. Wow. Well, very, very heartfelt words there. Appreciated words for the, for the, uh, invaluable work that he does and uh perhaps most immediately to the show the fact that that the show is representing that that law enforcement home life in a way that is authentic that's just uh, that's a credit to the season uh of course credit to uh credit to those with the badge absolutely thank you bob for sharing that perspective uh, Stacy Taylor wrote in response to that, Bob, you always have the most insightful comments. Thanks. And she continued, I was going to make a post saying that the prison fight was amazing, which it was. And then I watched episode 305. Wowee. Another great fight scene, less raw and more scripted, but still really good. Great use of materials just laying around. Looking forward to what you guys have to say about it in today's podcast. Well, I think both both Stacy and Bob really picking up this um, this notion that this season is surprisingly good, and that was with expectations pretty darn high from the first two seasons, and not you know a mid season stumble or the Netflix bloat or things of that sort. Uh, this continues to be the best season of Daredevil, and probably the best season. Um, in terms of pace and its hold on the audience, the best season of Marvel Netflix, and certainly up there with Marvel TV, period. I would tend to agree with that. Pete, you know what we can't top, by the way? That's our patrons on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Keep in the Fantastic Geek Puff family of Puff podcasts continuing to make their podcasts throughout the internets and such. Absolutely. None of this happens without them. They are driving us to 15 different feeds, Matt. I was running the numbers today. We talked off mic beforehand. This is our 284th podcast of MCU uh, episodes. Uh, there, There are more coming, what with the 13 in season three of daredevil here that we have not yet uh finished up recording but uh yeah that number really sat with me as i was uh, doing the calculations and no other podcast has come remotely close and that is a direct uh outgrowth of the support we have from uh our patrons and our listeners so thank you all uh, everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, and then you can pick your levels from there. You can get the Kevin Feige level and, you know, wear a baseball hat and, and order us around. <laughs> Kevin Feige, if you're listening, yes, we are available for outright purchase. Just, just the way uh, Fox was purchased and Pixar was purchased and Marvel was purchased. Uh, you can throw Fantastic Geek up there as well if I, you want. I think Call we us. have enough of a body of work out there for them to to know about. In fact, Pete, I at the low, low price of only $1 billion, okay, Fox <laughs> was like $75 billion. We are about 175th as valuable as, as that. It'll be a good, good buy. Uh, though, Pete, always free shall be the ability to interact with you on twitter how can people do so you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-l-r-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 10,135 followers can't be wrong pete while i'm personally on twitter's looking back lost let's hope our listeners are in touch with the podcast commenting on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait there's more Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, the party continues on the Pop Culture Podcast feed and the Daredevil feed. We're going to be talking more Daredevil, episode 307, this Friday and continuing to 
just race through this absolutely wonderful season. Uh, we, of course, have God Friended Me happening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed as well. Also, Pete, I know at some point in the next couple days we are going to have to discuss in the Pop, Pop Culture Podcast feed some uh, breaking news out of uh, MCU TV, not Marvel TV land and things of that sort. Also, Pete, if we dare touch it, there's a Marvel-related billboard near Disneyland. I don't even know if you've seen this article. Touchy subject. We'll have to get to that as well. That'll be in the Pop Culture Podcast feed if we get to that. But for now, Pete, it's time for me to say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. What for? Adios.